0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Charlie and Jake's Hot Takes. I'm here with my good friend, Max Fima. Jake is still nursing that injury on the IR. Max, happy to have you back.
1: It's a Pleasure to be back, Charlie. Continue to plow ahead with Jake on the IR.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm very happy to have Max back. Other things in sports not making me too happy. And, uh, you know, Max, it's a, it's a tough day for me. You know, you know what?
1: I do know why it's because the Steelers dance on the logo more than they actually play in the football game.
0: Yeah. And with the last, with the last loss to Cincinnati, uh, I, I hope this is okay with you, Max, but I prepared a little, a little, a little eulogy poem. This is the funeral Steelers are done. And, and, uh, here it goes. I really poured my heart out into this one. It was a wonderful start, but now you've broken my heart. The big wins have been great. But the last three losses have me irate. The run game is dead. The backs run like chickens without a head. The football team stumped us. The fans tried to stay calm and not make a fuss. Then came the Bills. Watching that game was akin to swallowing pills. Finally, Monday night against the Bengals, Big Ben and the offense were in shambles. Juju makes his TikToks, and it seems to only lead to him getting rocked. The Browns are on your tails. All the fans are biting their nails. The criticism finally feels justified. The Steelers aren't Super Bowl contenders, but rather a bunch of average guys." That was hard. That was really hard to write.
1: It was was a little bit free on the free verse for me, Charlie, but it was a good attempt.
0: You know, first, uh, just to talk about a little bit, the uh, Steelers trying to improve at least. Tomlin seems to have uh, talked to Juju, and Juju said, for the betterment of the team, I'm done with the logo dancing. I mean, I think that was a factor. I honestly just think this team isn't very good. Ben's yeah. showing, showing his age a little bit. Five touchdowns, four picks during the losing streak. Defense, a lot of injuries. And the offense is starting to show some crack, showing a lot of cracks outside of Ben. There's no run game. The receivers are just not producing like they were at the beginning of the season. And, you know, for Pittsburgh, going 11-0 during a pandemic where any week a positive test can mess everything up, is a accomplishment in itself, but I just think the idea that they are Super Bowl contenders and a real threat to Kansas City or even Buffalo in the AFC is just not an accurate uh, judgment of that team.
1: I agree with you there, Charlie, but moving on from you know old teams who used to be good and going down now, I'd like to start talking about people with potential young players who can who are coming into their own. And at the top of this list, I'd like to bring up Jalen Hurts. Okay. I don't know if you caught that Eagle-Cardinals game, but my man can play, Charlie. Yeah. I,
0: you know, we were going to talk about this last week, I remember. And we were like, you know, let's give it a week. Let's see how he plays against the Cardinals. Maybe it was just a one-game one kind of aberration, if you will. And then he comes out, and he was awesome this week. He was better this week against the Cardinals than he was the Saints. And it's just he's got that dual threat. And it's it's so crazy how five years ago we would come in and we would do the same show and we talk about how had being a runner is kind of a barrier to entry in terms of being a good quarterback. And now if you can't run and take those extra yards, it's it's pretty much game over for you because you just can't that you need that acid, you need that part, you need to be able to do be able to create yards create gains on with your legs and Hertz has, he's just such a good dual threat. He can throw the ball.
1: Definitely like when you're comparing, you know, running quarterbacks, the you're usually comparing it to Lamar Jackson. You know, he is the prime example in our league. And you know, Jalen Hertz is still a young inexperienced guy. So there were times in this Cardinals game where he tried to tuck it and run, or he made bad decisions about when to run led to sacks and the pocket collapsing. But for the most part, you know, unlike lamar jackson he picked his spots great which of course lamar does but he knew when to sit back in that pocket and just throw dots and that's something that you don't see as much with lamar jackson you know he's more ready to tuck it away and run but jalen hurts really showed that he can sling the ball
0: yeah that's the thing i mean he threw 44 passes uh against the cardinals 338 yards and three touchdowns, no picks. That's a, that's an impressive stat line. I mean, that's like a, you see that stat line and you don't know who it is. I don't think the first person you're guessing having that one is Jalen Hurts. He really was just doing everything, a lot of things right. Another thing that really stands out to me, one turnover in two games, that's big. That's a thing that a lot of young quarterbacks struggle with. And if he's moving the ball well, which he was, I mean, they, they put up 26 in that game, very, very solid. That. Cardinals defense is very underrated in my opinion. Uh, and then he also adds that running threat like we were talking about. He is a guy who I think all of a sudden, I wasn't sure about him coming into the draft. I do have that on a couple of older episodes from draft season. If, you got, if uh, fans want to take a back, a look back at that to uh make a poke a little fun at me. But I, he's so far so good.
1: Not to mention at the end of this game when the Eagles are trying to claw back. The man was given, I think, less than a minute to drive down the field. And, you know, given he did not score this touchdown, but he got it to, he drove the field. He faced, I think, a couple third and fourth downs where he was pressured and in, you know, very intense moments. And he kept his cool, didn't do anything irrational, drove the ball down the field. And, you know, if this was a field goal game, he would have gotten the field goal, but it was not. And he took his good shots at the end zone and he looked very composed in his two minute drill.
0: Yeah, and I just think now now you know. Like, now you're just – if Hurts came out and struggled, okay, you're probably going to maybe go back and see what Wentz can give you for the rest of the season. But now you're in a situation, if you're Philadelphia, there you have no reason to put Carson Wentz back in the game. Not only is Jalen Hurts playing well, Jalen Hurts is winning you games. He won you the game against New Orleans, and he was very close to doing it against Arizona. That's two very solid teams. And now it's just – and the Schefter came out saying that there's a that there were rumblings around the Eagles uh, that Carson had no interest in being a backup. So I think with the way that Jalen Hurts is playing and the way that Carson Wentz struggled, this is kind of coming to an ugly divorce for the Eagles and
1: Carson Wentz. Definitely, which I hate to say because I myself am a huge Carson Wentz fan. I believe in all things Carson Wentz, but. He didn't bring in this season. He didn't bring it. Eagles put in someone that has, and uh, yeah, he doesn't deserve that starting spot.
0: Yeah, and I mean, just to go into the details a little bit, Wentz got that summer 2019, he got that four-year $128 million extension. So he is on the hook for a lot of money. So they're going to have to figure out a trade, see if somebody's able to take him. They might have to end up releasing him and just taking some dead, dead cat. It's going to be a situation where the team is going to have to work with Wentz to figure out the best situation for both, both parties. And, you know, that's all good and well, except we know that sometimes it doesn't exactly end up being pretty in that situation.
1: Definitely talking about large contracts. Let's go over to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady who managed another comeback, another Tom Brady engineered comeback versus the Falcons. Wasn't exactly 28 to three. But the Falcons continue to show the season that they just cannot hold leads as Tampa Bay comes back and beats them thirty-one to seven. Do you have any thoughts on that, Charlie?
0: Um, yeah. So I think that it's crazy to me. One that, uh, first of all, the Falcons. I mean, I don't have an exact number, but how many games should the Falcons have won? How many were Four, there?
1: Five. Just and about.
0: They. They could. They could. There. They could be. They could be in it. They really
1: could. And it's they could be uh they could be uh above five well above five hundred football team.
0: If they could if they could close out games, I mean, it's just tough for Atlanta. You know, ever since that uh Super Bowl loss, it's kinda set that set the tone for what has been uh just a team a lot of teams of talent since that 2016-2017 Super Bowl run, but no playoffs, no results. And for Atlanta it's almost like Matt Ryan's getting up there in age. You tried Todd Gurley. That's kind of – although he looked good in the at the beginning of the season, that's just kind of blown up a little bit. He's
1: – Only had one carry last game.
0: Yeah, he's been kind of taken out of the offense. Julio's getting up there in age. So you really don't know what the next step is. And, I mean, more and more we're seeing player movement. And I think that if Atlanta fi- – fi- Atlanta could finally decide this offseason – This just isn't working. We obviously don't have the pieces to make another Super Bowl run with this core. Let's blow it up and start from the bottom. Uh, And, you know, that can create a really interesting situation. But more to Tampa Bay is who I'm really interested in because I think that you could say, I mean, coming into the season, Tampa Bay probably the most interesting team in football. When you have Tom Brady on a new team along with so many guys who are just so good at football at different parts of their careers, like Antonio Brown, Gronk. Leonard Fournette and then keep in mind the fact that they have pieces just on Tampa Bay from before this season. Just an interesting team and it's been a very very up and down season for them. So what do you what do you think about Tampa Bay and their season so far? Uh
1: well there's a lot coming into the season, you know, around Tom Brady saying, you know, whether he was a system quarterback, whether his success, success was all towards um, you know, Belichick and I think that this season he's kind of put those to rest. He's not having his team's not having the greatest of season, but he's definitely putting up numbers. And in this past game, he looked surgical. He put up three, three, 390 yards. He threw to about eleven different receivers, and he went absolutely wild. You know, came back at the end of his game in classic Brady fashion. You know, he, he doesn't always, you know, normally threw two, two touchdowns. He's not always going to throw five, but he gets Leonard net down to the two, down to the one, and he gets him into these running situations and really just showing that what a great game manager he is.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like that you use the word surgical, because that's just a great way to describe Brady and how he plays. He can really dissect the defense and make the plays that he needs to make. And you know, the arm is looking live, you know, that that, the game winning touchdown to Antonio Brown, that was a deep ball and that was a great connection, you know, Antonio (laughs) Brown and Tom Brady connecting in 2020. I don't know what you what you would think if I told you that in tw- in twenty eighteen if I told you that in Tampa Bay we would have a Tom Brady Antonio Brown team up. But um, yeah, and what sticked that what has stuck out to me for Brady is that he started off the year that obviously that terrible game against the Saints. Then they were the next 7 games they were 6 and 1 brady had very was really good he had very few picks and then you know it's kind of gone down a little bit they've been losing some games not losing every game obviously they've been just playing some decent ball brady's been turning the ball over a little bit like that game in for example when they played in los angeles the rams brady's turnovers killed them and now the last two games he has no picks he's been playing really well and the team is responding i don't know if there's a team that is more dependent on their quarterback playing really well than the Buccaneers, because they just are such a good team when Brady is on.
1: Definitely not to mention, I feel like throughout a lot of um, Tom Brady's career, at least in the latter half with the Patriots, he didn't face much adversity in the regular season. Mm -hmm. You know, what was his division? He's playing the Jets twice a year. They were good for one year. The Dolphins who were historically bad up until these past couple of years and the Bills who were nothing special. And He didn't really face a lot of adversity and this is the first time he has and it's been amazing to see how he's been bouncing back you know he's not used to um not always doing what he wants and getting the success that he has but he's hasn't really let it change him and change his attitude and he's brought it each and every week and not to mention the type of firepower that he has to play around with on offense you know with these old patriot teams he He had good receivers, do not get me wrong, but some of those guys, Julian Edelman, Wes Welker, Danny Amendola, they were kind of, you know, Tom Brady made guys who very much benefited from having Brady, Brady, but guys like Mike Evan, Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, Gronk, he's always had, Leonard Fournette and McCoy, you know, those are guys that do not need Tom Brady to be explosive and you add Tom Brady in there, it's almost nuclear.
0: Yeah, and that's what really sticks out to me is the fact that you can have a couple guys having bad games. You have guys to go to if it's not Godwin's day when he's getting open. If they're covering him well, then Antonio Brown or Mike Evans is probably going to be able to make some noise. And when you had that dearth of weapons, you almost, you're almost you bound to explode at some point. And now it's kind of feeling like, okay, this Bucks offense is really feeling like they're in a rhythm and starting to make some serious noise.
1: Yeah, I don't know about you, Charlie, but this is not a Bucks team. I don't think that the record reflects exactly how good of a team they are, and it's not a team that I would want to play in the playoffs. Oh,
0: yeah, and I think it's interesting because they're a very, a very up-and-down team, if you will. You know, they, um, they've um, they done things like they beat the Packers 38-10. Packers have been awesome this year. Then they will – Uh, just lose games that they shouldn't lose, you know? Like, and even this game, this game, although it showed how good Brady is and how good the offense can be, it also showed their problem. They get off the slow starts a lot and they uh, have a tendency to really play a game with teams that they shouldn't play games with. But when you're in the playoffs, I feel like there's almost that added intensity that might really help them because they know they're not coming into the game expecting to blow any team out. Every game is a battle in the playoffs, and I think they're going to respond to that
1: well. Definitely, not to mention if there's one guy in NFL history that you want on your side in the playoffs, it's Tom Brady.
0: Yeah, and I'm just interested in the defense also. I think we know what the offense can do. The defense is really going to set the tone. I mean, the defense really turned it on late in this game. Devin White had an incredible game. He won uh, NFC Defensive Player of the Week, three sacks, a bunch of tackles. And there's just you look at this defense. The passing defense is suspect, but the the middle linebacker, the linebackers are really good. Levante David has been good for so long. Your passers, Shack, Barrett, JPP, and Damacon Sue can can still make some noise out there for you. This front seven is is a really hard unit to face, and I just think if those they're DBs are young, but if those DBs can get it together and make some plays, it's not gonna. It's gonna get harder and harder and harder to score on this team. And once you can't put up points against them, if you don't get above 20 points against the, the Buccaneers, you're not beating. They're gonna. They're gonna give you. They're gonna put points. You're gonna have to, to. It's gonna be a boxing match. And your offense, when you're playing Tampa Bay, is gonna need to throw some really good punches. Definitely. So uh, that's just a team that I'm so excited to uh, see come playoff time and just see how they finish the season because, you know, anything can happen, they can lose their last two and find themselves out of the playoff picture, though unlikely. You never know. So big two games coming up for Brady and his crew. Another big game that is coming up, or a couple of big games, is the college football playoff. And right now I'm less interested in talking about the games. Instead I'd rather talk about with you, Max, the uh, selection, what you thought, give me your, your uh, kind of your interpretation of where the college football playoff committee
1: sat. <clears throat> I will go seed by seed, Charlie. All right. I'm going to begin with our number one seeded, uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Roll Tide, baby. Roll Tide, baby. Roll Tide to that. And there's no one who deserves the seed more. Alabama has been at times, not at times, at all times, dominant this season. Mac Jones has shown to be the best deep ball thrower in uh the nation and in recent memory quite honestly he is putting up not exactly but joe burrow type numbers um not to mention that his world-class receiver is most likely going to win heisman and devonta smith and better, have,
0: with the heisman. Devonta better with better with the Heisman. there's not a player in college football better than devonta smith right?
1: And they have another world-class running back in the backfield, Najee Harris, who could also win Heisman. Those are three guys that all deserve the Heisman, not to mention one of them who's sitting on the bench in Jalen Waddell. All right?
0: Yeah, with injury. And it's just, with Alabama, I, I mean, this is, this is the cream of the crop in college football this year. Uh, you can't, you can't, there's, not, there's nothing to fight here. Great, they should be the number one seed. They're my favorite to win it all. And uh, nothing wrong with that. And how about those, uh, Clemson Tigers?
1: Well, they are absolutely deserving this number two spot. Uh, I think a lot of years that honestly, probably be, um, a number one seed and they have a once in a generational type quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. And I'm going to bring it back to this, uh, Notre Dame game that they lost earlier in the season. And I was talking about it with one of my buds and we honestly just couldn't comprehend how Clemson was going to get so much better with Trevor Lawrence while they were playing with DJ Uangalele because he was Great, great, uh,
0: great uh, pronunciation, by the way. That's
1: Thank the you, man. right? I, I love him. <laughs> but he, he put up 450 yards, had about four touchdowns in that game, and we were wondering to ourselves, how is Trevor, what's Trevor Lawrence going to do to make this better? And that question was answered about five minutes into that Notre Dame game. He protects the ball. He doesn't make he doesn't make um, throws without um, calculations. He puts the ball right where he needs to be. He keeps his defense off the field. Keeps them rested. He hits the big plays when he needs to. He hits the small plays. He doesn't. He throws the ball away when he needs to. And he is a once in a G- generational quarterback.
0: And it's and I I know it seems like okay. Did Trevor Lawrence really make a difference or did the defense just play better? Because obviously the, the first game that they lost was a high scoring affair. And then this one was just a beat down. I think it was 34 to 10. So it was really just the Clemson offense doing their job and the defense just showing out. But I think it's just Trevor Lawrence, not only is he such a skilled quarterback, he's this team's heart and soul. You know, they love him. You can tell by the way they interact. And and I just think that uh, the defense, along with the added intensity of playing in a First of all, playing the same offense twice, which you don't really get to do a lot in college football. You get to learn a lot from the tape. You get to see what they did right and you did wrong, kind of correct those thing, things. And then add back, that you get your once-in-a-generation quarterback, and they just had all that momentum on their side. And, you know, Notre Dame just – I think this really showed who they are. You know, they're a very talented team. They're our next uh, – no, they're not our next team in the uh, seed. But, you know, uh, Notre Dame's an interesting team. But – uh. Before then, the uh, Ohio, in my opinion, one of the more polarizing seasons because of the pandemic, and that's the Ohio State, uh,
1: that's Ohio State. I was a very large Ohio State fan last season, Charlie. I still believe that that was a fumble recovered by the Ohio State defense for a touchdown. Okay. I'm not even going to get into that. All right. What I've seen from this Ohio State team this year, is not worthy of a three seed. They're not. Who have they beaten this season? They beat a good Indiana team, uh, but in a
0: very close game.
1: In a very close game, where Justin Fields did not play well, and their only other quality win was in the Big Ten championship against number uh, against um, number fourteen Northwestern, and, and that game was very close. Another close game where Justin Fields did not play well. So. The question bears here: Where is the Justin Fields we saw last season, and what is propelling them to this third seed, other than being Ohio State?
0: Exactly, and I think also it's precedent. You know, do they does the uh, does the committee really feel comfortable with putting a one-loss non-ACC championship Notre Dame at three, and putting an undefeated Ohio undefeated Big Ten champion Ohio State at four? I think that's really what it came down to and it's kind of like a precedent thing where they weren't going to do that. But at the end of the day, I mean, they played six games. They looked great in the four against not good teams, and in the two against really solid teams, they looked very average. So, you know, obviously they can come out on a New Year's Day when they play Clemson and prove everybody wrong, but they have a lot to prove coming into the playoff.
1: Definitely, and if, if this was a game last season, quite honestly, I would I took Notre Dame, I took Ohio State last year, no doubt, and I think that if Justin Fields is able to capture capture that magic he played with last year, and he, which he has played it sometimes this year against lower level competition, I think they have a chance to win this. But they need, because I do believe that when he's playing his best, Justin Fields is closer to Trevor Lawrence than people think. Mm-hmm. But if that Justin Fields, that Heisman Justin Fields is not on the field on January 1st, then it will not be pretty. And that is for sure.
0: Yeah, and you know, for Justin Fields, it becomes a big game, not only for him because he wants to win that national championship, but I don't know if you've been watching uh, Zach Wilson from BYU. He is coming up on Justin Fields' tail in terms of the second quarterback in that class. So Justin Fields is going to have a national audience to prove that, hey, I'm the guy who's going to be able to turn your franchise around and um, we'll see what Not he
1: does. North Dakota State's Trey Lance.
0: Oh yeah, true, very much, very much. So, so uh, then, yeah. So number four, seed Notre Dame. Give me your thoughts on them.
1: I need to take a couple deep breaths here, Charlie. Take your time, buddy. But I feel like Stephanie Smith because I am enraged by this seating. Enraged by this seating, Charlie. Texas A&M deserved deserved this all the way. I don't know if you've watched a lot of Texas A&M this season, but they are dominant in ways that Alabama and Clemson could not dream of. In their last game against the Tennessee Volunteers, they only beat them by two or three touchdowns, but they dominated time of possession by almost three times the amount Tennessee had. They are efficient running the ball with Isaiah Spiller, who is a great running back in this nation and Kellen Mond who can get it done through the air and on the ground and they deserve this four seed they beat teams down and they tire them out and it is a beautiful thing to watch and this Notre Dame team realistically they had one great win versus Clemson but it wasn't even Clemson at their best because I think I don't know if you remember but it wasn't even Trevor Lawrence who wasn't playing. They had a lot of other people out due to COVID in that game.
0: Fair, fair, fair.
1: And in this ACC championship, it wasn't just a loss to Clemson. It was a beatdown. They had one garbage time touchdown where they kind of – they they cut it to 24. It was a beatdown, Charlie. They do not deserve this four seed. Uh,
0: uh, I have trouble because at the end of the day, the committees – I see where the committees coming from in terms of – they have immense respect for Dabo and Clemson. But you have to look at Texas A&M and think, okay, what? Uh, you probably saw the Jimbo Fisher interview after the Tennessee game. He says, "If we're, no one-loss SEC team has ever been, has ever not made the playoff, if we can't be in this league and play to that and play to that level and not make the play, and make the playoff, if we can't do that, there's an issue." And in a way, I think he's right. But I also think this year, everything's kind of, Everything's out the door. You know. We're playing during a once-in-a-lifetime once global pandemic. Everything's messed up. And I also think that Texas a and they were so dominant, but if I can read you some of these scores, they'd be Vanderbilt by five, a horrendous Vanderbilt team, Mississippi State by 14, Arkansas by 11,
1: LSU I'm by gonna 13. Cut, I'm going to have to cut you off right there, Charlie. This was a very large thing while watching this Tennessee Volunteers game, their most recent game they talked about because – this is exactly what they wanted the committee to avoid. When you watch Alabama and Clemson, they have a lot of big plays resulting in a lot of high scoring games and a lot of big blowouts. But a game like that Tennessee game or that LSU game or that Auburn game, that's a blowout in Texas A&M's definition of a blowout. Because if you go into those games and you look at time of possession, Texas A&M is almost double the time of possession because they might not bomb it down the field and score all those points, but they'll take a whole quarter and punch in a two-yard rushing touchdown and demoralize your defense.
0: Yeah, and I think that also it does, it lends the question, did Texas A&M, did the committee say, okay, we already saw Texas A&M get beat by Bama. Granted, Bama did have Jalen Waddle, which Jimbo Fisher pointed out. Let's give Notre Dame a shot.
1: I think maybe, but I, I also think that, I think you can equate that Texas A&M lost to Alabama and that Notre Dame lost to Clemson almost, even though I still think that the Notre Dame loss to Clemson is a little bit more shameful and embarrassing. Yeah. And then you want to look at what they did the rest of the season. I mean, they hung up 41 and beat number seven Florida. They took down a good Auburn team, and they – handled all their SEC opponents throughout the year. I mean, that's more impressive than whatever Notre Dame did beating up on low-level Syracuse. Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> it's tough. It's
0: tough. We're on the rise though. Punter you. Uh yeah, and you know, Notre Dame did have the win against UNC. We'll see how Texas a&m plays against UNC because that's actually their bowl opponent, but I expect them to handle them easily. That'll that show us funny. a lot, honestly. But I think that more than anything what this shows is what this year shows is that the playoff needs to be expanded or the group of 5 needs to have their own playoff. And I'll tell you why. First, first, let's take a look let's take a look at a team like Cincinnati or Coastal Carolina. Coastal Carolina, playing in the Sun Belt, having a great year, they're so they 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 know they don't have the schedule. So they have a game canceled due to COVID, and then they go to they go they host BYU, in an unprecedented situation, scheduling a game on the fly. It was awesome. Great game. They win it in, in dramatic fashion. And you know what the reward is for an undefeated okay. season? They get a they get a conference game. They're playing if, if, Liberty, if, if, Liberty. A conference if, 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 game.
1: 2016, 2017, I'm not exactly sure the year. You, um, UCF. What are Cincinnati and to- Coastal Carolina supposed to do, Charlie? You can't. And I understand,
0: okay, you could schedule an Alabama. But Alabama doesn't want to play a high-level Google 5 team. They want to warm up with uh, some soft, some soft teams or maybe some other power five teams and then play their conference schedule. Because those the elite teams know that if they play their conference schedule and they win, they'll be in the playoff. So they don't really have an incentive to play a Cincinnati. Definitely. So it's just it's so on it's so tough. You know, I feel bad for a guy like, for example, Cincinnati Desmond Ritter, their quarterback, he's been there for two really good seasons. And what's his reward? I mean, the Peach Bowl's great, but they need to expand the playoff. It just – it defies logic that we can say that, okay, we are the FBS. But it's almost – it's impossible. With the current system, with the four-team playoff, a group of five team will never make the playoff. So then it's not a fair system. There's not one FBS. Then the group of five needs to say either – Whoever represents them needs to say, okay, either you make a path for us to get into the 14 playoff or you expand playoff or we're making our own playoff because we can't continually have these teams do so well and prove that they are legit teams and not even give them a chance. Like, (laughs) let's be honest. I I mean, I don't want to be this guy, but Notre Dame is going to get killed by Alabama.
1: They are going to get – okay, bringing back to my betting roots, Charlie, Alabama is 19 and a half. I'm throwing the house on them, Charlie. My so mortgage.
0: yeah, so yeah. Uh, if I was a betting man, I may do the same. And Notre Dame, me are a problem. Are you
1: so, stating that you're not a betting man, Charlie Benami?
0: Yes. Um. <laughs> and um. You know. I, so if we know Notre Dame is going to get destroyed, I mean, on obviously, anything can happen. Maybe Notre Dame pulls it out. But why not give Cincinnati a shot? Why not? It's a, and it's just so frustrating. Because you know that it's not going to happen, and you know that Cincinnati's not going to get their shot, and you know the Coastal Carolina can't make the playoff. And um, you just know that that's not going to happen, and you just – it's just so it's, – it's unfortunate. It's unfair, and I wish it, it could is, be different.
1: And it's frustrating.
0: So um, that's going to be all for today. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Um, have a happy holiday we are really happy to keep bringing you these episodes and uh keep watching have a have a good one
1: enjoy